Well, I too just want to welcome each one here and just greet you in the name of in the name of Jesus. It's been a real blessing to be here so far this morning. We were in to see Matt on Friday evening there at rehab, and he was pretty sure I need to bring my pickup truck in and help him move home this morning. But I told him I kind of have some other things to do, but I would have gladly went in there and helped him with that. But he agreed that I should probably come here and preach instead. So I trust they found somebody to help bring his things home. But it was definitely a really, it was a really good time to be there with him on, on Friday afternoon as he, he was just really excited about coming home and about being able to come to church again. I think he has really missed the church here. So yeah, I think it's important that we just continue praying for them and praising God for the work he has done in Matt's life. passage of scripture that Manny read for us here is, is a little bit of a background to the message this morning. I want to take the message from Acts chapter 5. I think the last several verses here in Acts 4 and, and even the, the, the rest of, or the beginning of uh, the book of Acts here gives a pretty good idea of, or gives us a lot of incidences and stories that the church, the early church, this new church is experiencing. And then we come to Acts chapter 5, and we have a really, really sad account here, the first 11 verses. So to start off here, I just want to maybe uh, summarize or tell a little bit in, in story form what some people here in this church service may have been thinking, especially the, the young men in verse 6. It tells us in chapter 5, verse 6, that these young men were, there were some young men that were responsible for burying these people. So I just kind of left my mind, I guess, wander a little bit or uh, think a little bit what may have been going through these young men's minds as they did this. So just imagine with me the end of a very hard and tragic church service. There's this small group of young men that they're gathered together discussing the happenings of the day. We don't know much about these men at all. We don't know their background. We don't know their names. We do assume, though, that they were probably members of this church, or at least they were at this, this service or gathering that they had. This, this service, this gathering here, probably in Jerusalem. They had just finished the task of burying two people who had suddenly fallen over dead at their gathering. Two people who had, obviously according to the text, conspired together to lie before the church. We're not given a lot of details, but probably they, probably they thought it was something that nobody would know. In fact, maybe they didn't even realize or maybe they didn't even see it as a sin. But I can just imagine these young men talking about this somehow the Holy Spirit had revealed what was happening here and after they were confronted about what they had done they literally fell over dead and it tells us here in these verses that everybody was filled with fear a great fear came upon them and I can only imagine after being 
given the task of burying these people, that it was probably a very, very sobering time for these young men. So what was going through their minds? What were they thinking? What were they saying? How did it impact their lives from here on? What lessons did they learn? What did they talk about on their way home that night? What did they pray about that night before they went to bed? And maybe more importantly, what can we learn from this account today? If we look at the last several verses here in Acts chapter 4, we realize that this church was, this was a new church. It hadn't been going on very long, just pretty much since Jesus' ascension. And it's obvious that the gospel was spreading, and it was spreading rapidly. There was times when there was thousands of people added to the church. There had obviously been some persecution as well. Some of the apostles had been taken captive. According to verse 23 in Acts chapter 4, they had been let go again and were back with the church. And it seemed like the persecution just gave them more boldness. They were really on fire for God. As we get to the end of chapter 4, there was even a man, the man named Joseph here, who they, they changed his name to Barnabas. They surnamed him Barnabas. And they did that because of his, I believe just because of his mannerisms, because of who he was, because of his, his, the way he cared for the church. It tells us that the, the name they gave him, uh, the meaning was the son of consolation, which I think just simply means encouragement. But it tells us that he had some land, he sold it, he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. We have a similar account in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. It tells us, And all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And then in chapter 4 we have this, this Barnabas uh, man there in the church that that did the same thing so you know from reading some of these verses we would maybe almost think that they had the perfect church it was you know things were going well yes there was some persecution but they were released now and they were on fire for the lord it tells us in chapter 4 verse 31 that they they were filled with the holy ghost the place was shaken just a lot of good things happening in their church People were, people were giving. It says that everybody was, in Acts chapter 2, that they had all things in common. You know, it really sounds like a church that I'd want to be a part of. It really sounds like a church that, that we might say had it all together. But I think it's important to remember that, or to think about, that the devil is always looking for for ways to disrupt God's work. I think that's still obvious today in the things that, different things that, that we experience in our lives. The devil, the devil doesn't like to see God's kingdom prosper. He doesn't like to see the church prosper. He doesn't like to see us as individuals, as Christians, to be victorious. It tells us in verse verse 3 of chapter 5 
Peter mentions there that Satan had filled Ananias' heart. And I believe that's what the devil is still trying to do today. He is still trying to find individuals that he can get into, that he can fill, that he can turn away from God. So we have this, we have this picture of a church here in, in Acts 4. We have these accounts well, in, in the book of Acts up until here. And then we suddenly have these, first, these 11 verses here in chapter 5 that just shows us a vivid contrast of the rest or the beginning of the book of Acts there. And I believe it's just simply, I, I've often, I guess, struggled a little bit with this account. You know, why was God so harsh? Why, why so sudden? Why no chance for repentance? So as we go through this this morning, I'd like to, we'll just go through here a, a few verses at a time and, and read a few verses and then make some, make some observations and some applications to, hopefully some practical applications for us today. So as we get into uh, verse 1 of chapter 5, it tells us there was a certain man named Ananias with, his wife, with Sapphira his wife, and they sold a possession. Very similar to what Barnabas had just done in the verses prior. Sold a possession. In verse 2 it says, And kept back part of the price, his wife also being private to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And there again we could say, you know, well, what's, you know, what's the problem here? Maybe they needed some money for groceries, or maybe they needed some money for some other things that they, that they needed. But it tells us that they, they sold the land, they laid aside some money, and the rest of it they took and they laid at the apostles' feet. I believe it's, it's obvious from the context as we move through here that their intent was to was to maybe deceive or to make the people believe that they gave more than they actually did. Their intent was to make it look like they gave all. I believe they may have seen Barnabas and seen the way that people appreciated him in the church and maybe they thought, well, you know, we want to we be looked up to like that as well. So we'll, we'll sell our land and we'll you know, we'll take it and we'll lay it at the apostles' feet like Barnabas did and everybody's going to look at us like, wow, see what they did. We're not, we're not told those details, but I believe from the context that's, that's kind of what I gather. It, it seems that may, have, that may be what has taken place. I had to think of the verse in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, where it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So in verse 3, I guess, I, I guess one, one thing that I was a little confused about here, I, I'm not sure what for, what for gathering this was, if this was a Sunday morning church service or if this was a midweek service or if they were just maybe always together. But for some reason, Ananias went by himself. His wife didn't go with him to when he took the money. 
maybe they decided here again I'm just assuming a little bit maybe they decided it's you know it's going to be easier to keep a straight face if just one of them goes but for some reason Ananias goes by himself he went in he laid this money down and it doesn't tell us what he said it just says he laid it at the apostles feet in verse 3 Peter says he says Ananias why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land So in, in essence, he asked him, why did you let Satan in? Why did you give in to this temptation? And he doesn't really give, he doesn't really give Ananias time to, <coughs> time to answer here. He just tells him, why hast thou conceived this in thy heart? Thou hast not lied to men, but you actually lied to God. He said the land was yours. You owned the land. It was yours. It's the beginning of verse 4. And he says after you sold it, it was in your power to do with it what you want, is really what he was saying. It, it was in your power to do with the money what you wanted. And I don't think he's condemning him for even keeping some of it. But what he's condemning him for or what he is challenging him on is, is making it look like he gave all when he only gave a portion. There was no requirement here, I, I believe there was no requirement here for them to, to give this much. I don't believe the people there in the church were required to sell their things and bring it. It's just something that a lot of them, or some of them were doing, I believe, out of there. <clears throat> Their fear of the Lord and their uh, just being on fire for God. <clears throat> so as as uh, Peter challenged Ananias here, it just tells us that. He told him, you didn't lie to man, but you lied to God. And in verse 5, it tells us that Ananias heard these words. He fell down and he gave up the ghost. It seems this happened as Peter was still speaking. Peter was, Peter was talking, telling him this, and he just, he just fell over. It doesn't... <clears throat> give us any indication that he took time to respond. It doesn't say that he spoke any words. He just gave up the ghost and fell over. And in verse 6, it tells us that the young men arose. They wound him up, carried him out, and buried him. Great fear came upon all those well, this was back in verse 5, yet it says that great fear came upon all those that heard these things. I can only imagine the, the shock and the disbelief that these people must have been experiencing as they, I assume Ananias was one that they probably all knew. <coughs> I 
It probably wasn't his first day at this, at this church service. He was probably a, <clears throat> probably a friend to a lot of the people there. Maybe somebody that was fairly well known. I'm not sure. We're not told a lot of that history, but it caused a great fear on all, the, all of those that were there. I found it interesting that the meaning of Ananias' name, the meaning of his name is God is gracious. It's a little hard to, it's a little hard to uh, see God's graciousness, I guess, in, in this account. <coughs> Excuse me. And I would assume that from the viewpoint of the church, probably nobody, probably nobody expected this from this man. And I believe that's why Peter challenged him with lying to, me, lying to God and not necessarily unto men. They could hide all these things from, from the people there. They could hide the things from, from their fellow man, but they couldn't hide it from God. And it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that I believe Peter was able to, to call him out. I think it's important to remember that God not only knows what is in our hands when we give, he also knows what is in our hearts. There's, I guess there's, there's a lot of different lessons that we, could, that we can pull out of, out of this uh, passage here. And as I was thinking about, about giving, about giving of our goods, giving of our material possessions, giving of our time, you know, God, God sees our motive. God knows why we do what we do. I'd just like to turn to Mark chapter 12. Let's read a few verses there. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. It's a, a story of when Jesus was watching people give their money there at the, at the treasury. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which made a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast, in, hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. I believe Jesus could see into her heart. He could see the sacrifice it was for her to cast in that small amount of money. He could see into her heart just as well as he could see into the heart of Ananias and Sapphira and see the hypocrisy and the deceit in their heart. And we have the verses in, in Matthew 6, the first few verses there that talk about not knowing, not letting your one hand know what your other hand does when you're, when you're giving, not to sound a trumpet or make it known how much we're giving. 
And I don't know how much, how much Ananias' land was worth at this point, or at this time, or how much he actually gave. But I think it's important to, to consider that it's not necessarily the amount. It didn't matter if this was a small piece of land or a big piece of land. But I think it was the condition of his heart, the attitude with which he gave, the attitude with which he kept some back, was what God, was what God did not like. So it tells us in verse 6, he was carried out and buried. And in verse 7 it says, And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And again, I just had to wonder, what, what did the church do in this three hours of time? What were they doing? What were they talking about? Was Peter teaching? Were they praying? What was happening? Seems like a lot of time to sit there and, and process some of these things. His wife walks in. Did she notice the fear or the, the, the sober atmosphere? What did she think when she walked into the building? It tells us that she walked in and Peter, Peter uh, promptly engaged in talking to her and he said, how is it, he asked her, how is it that ye have agreed to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Sorry, back up to verse 8. Peter asked her first, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. I'd like to think that at this point she would have had the opportunity to, to make her things right. It seems like she may have had a little more of a chance here than her husband did, but I believe Peter was testing her. He just, he just asked her, is this how much you sold the land for? And her answer immediately was, yes, for so much. Peter also held her accountable in this. I believe he gave her the opportunity to, to repent, but she just quickly answered yes for so much. Peter continued, and he asked her another question. How is it that you agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? And he continues. It seems he doesn't, doesn't give her another chance here. He says, Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. And then we kind of have a repeat of what happened to her husband. In verse 10, it tells us she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. The young man came in. They found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Just like us to think again a little bit about these young men. So they carry this man out, they bury him, they come back and as they walk in the door, the same thing happens again. tells us in verse 11, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. So I believe this is something that probably a lot of people in the city heard about. It tells us great fear came upon as many as heard these things. So the remainder of our time here, I just want to, I guess, look at some more observations on on things we can pull from this passage. I believe we can see that God's word is final. 
God is just and God is holy. God does not tolerate sin. God will not be mocked. I want to read a few verses in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 10. It's the account of Aaron's sons when they offered strange fire before the Lord. So I want to read the first three verses. It says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. So we have another account where God struck down two men, for offering something before him that he had not commanded. God had given Aaron, God had given Moses clear direction on what the priest's job was, what the priest's duties were. And I believe, I believe this incident was also to bring, to bring fear to the people, to, to help the people realize that God does not tolerate sin. As I, as I said before, I believe the devil is always trying to destroy what God has put in place. I believe the devil is always trying to maybe make a counterfeit for what God has set up. I believe we can see that in, ever since the beginning. As we think about Adam and Eve in the garden when the devil came and, and tempted Eve, he said, Yea, hath God said. You know, is it really so? God knows that you're going to be, as a God, you're going to know good and evil if you eat from this tree. So God had this perfect environment for Adam and Eve. He had created, he had his, his creation that he had called very good. And instantly we see the devil, pretty soon we see the devil just trying to, to destroy it, to destroy what God had set up. He didn't, I don't believe the devil liked the relationship between that God had with Adam and Eve. And then we have the account there in Leviticus where God had, had introduced the law. He had set up their, their sacrifices and how they were to conduct their worship. And it's not long after that's in place that we have Aaron's sons that they offer this strange fire before the Lord. Once again, I believe the devil is just trying to, to undermine what God had put in place. And then we have the account here in Acts. Not long after Jesus ascended, the church was new. I believe once again the devil did not like. The devil knew he was defeated when Jesus gave himself there on the cross and rose again. And now this church was coming forth because of that. And he is, the devil is in there again trying to destroy the work of God. We talked a little bit in instruction class this morning about, well, the lesson was on the Word of God, and we got on the subject of the Holy Spirit. 
I believe the Holy Spirit comes through in this passage in a very, a very real way. It tells us in chapter 4, verse, verse 31, that the place was shaken where they were assembled, and they were all filled, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And I think it's obvious here in, in chapter 5, we can see the relationship that Peter had with God. I believe Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. And God revealed this, God revealed this sin to Peter through the work of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter told them, you're not, you're not lying to us. I believe lying to the apostles, lying to the church, God saw that as lying to God himself. It's a few verses in John chapter 16. Verse 13 and 14, it says, He will, sorry, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come. This is Jesus telling his disciples, He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. I believe this account is, is a fulfillment of what Jesus had said the Holy Spirit would do. He would show them, he would show them things. He would make things clear to them. I believe the Holy Spirit still abides in the hearts of those who have placed their faith in God today. The Holy Spirit is still very real today. He is here among us today in the heart of each believer. Not only partly, not only a little bit, not in the distance, but I believe he is here completely. He is here personally with each believer. The Holy Spirit is very active in the church to think of that a lot as we went through the ordination just the the process with that just the way that I believe God directs his church and God moves his church forward I believe is a work of of his Holy Spirit I believe just knowing these things realizing these things feeling God's Spirit is a is a big comfort to the believers. Jesus had said he will send the comforter, and I believe that's what he does. The Holy Spirit comforts believers. I believe at the same time it brings it should bring fear. It should bring fear to the disobedient or to the unbeliever. As we think about what happened in this in this church service. I believe it was appropriate that all the others there responded in fear. You know, God knows what each one of them was thinking. God knows what each one of us, what each one here is thinking. I believe it's important that we never, we must never think that God doesn't see or know what we are doing or even thinking. I believe that was made very real to the church to the church that day when uh, in the account here in Acts chapter 5. Another thing that I believe is important for us to 
to think about. And I, it's not that I don't believe Ananias and Sapphira were directly disrespecting the leaders in the church here. But I think it's important that that God-ordained leaders are respected. You know, it was... <coughs> it doesn't seem like Peter took offense by what Ananias and Sapphira did here. He said, you're, you're lying to God. But in essence, they were also lying to the leaders of the church there. on my third it doesn't want to go away <clears throat> we, have <clears throat> we have several other accounts in the Bible where God brought judgment on those where God brought judgment on those who disrespected his leaders. We have the account in Numbers where Aaron and Miriam spoke against Moses. And God <clears throat> brought leprosy upon Miriam. And after Moses pled with God, he granted her healing. We have the account in, <clears throat> in 2 Kings 2 where the children mocked Elisha. And then, <clears throat> and the bears, <coughs> the bears came out and devoured them. And I believe we have a really good example of somebody who respected a leader. I believe David was a really good example of that, as he fled from Saul, had numerous had numerous opportunities to destroy his enemy. But he said to one of his soldiers one day, he said, destroy him not. For who can stretch his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? You know, God has set leaders over each of us, whether it's church leaders, whether it's in the family, whether it's government. I think we are called to honor and to respect. So in, co in closing, I'd like, to, I'd like for us to go back and consider, again, what, <clears throat> what these young men may have been thinking. <coughs> Maybe the one reminded the others of the account of Nadab and Abihu, 
Aaron's sons. Maybe the one reminded the others of the story when King David wanted to bring the ark back to Jerusalem and they did it in a way that God had not commanded. And when a certain man put out his hand to steady the ark, God struck him down as well. And then maybe the one said that I believe we have been given a lesson like this today. Our God is the very same God who, who did those things years ago. He is the same today. And his Holy Spirit has demonstrated that very clearly. I believe what God said to Moses in Leviticus is still true today. when he said that this is the Lord that spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. Shall we kneel for prayer?